InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Millions of Americans are coping with economic and financial turmoil due to upheavals in the mortgage and credit markets and much more. Some say people would be better able to avoid risks and make better financial decisions if they had a better understanding of how finance works. But one expert says financial literacy education does little for consumers and might even hurt them in the long run. Joining us on InfoTrack is Lauren Willis, professor of law at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles and author of a recent study against financial literacy education. All right, Professor, let's jump right into it. Why is financial literacy education not a good thing, in your opinion? Well, there are a number of reasons. First, it doesn't appear to work. Giving people these classes, making them attend them in high school, doing seminars for people who are planning their retirement, the studies have not shown that that has led people to make good financial decisions. And instead, there's a false sense of confidence Ah. that they think that they now can do it themselves. And so they try to do things themselves that they should perhaps be relying on an expert to help them with. As well as a society, we think, well, if we're sending people to these classes, if we're paying for this education in schools, we don't need to regulate financial services, the consumer financial industry and so it provides an excuse for policymakers not to really think hard and make the hard choices about how to regulate this sector of the economy. It seems like there is already quite a bit of regulation. I know when you get a mortgage, you have to sign all kinds of documents and things that really are designed to make it very clear what you're getting into. Well, the problem with those disclosures is that they really are part of this model that if we just tell you everything about this product, then so long as we then also give you some education, you'll be able to read all those disclosures and understand everything and make good decisions. But we know that's not the case. Even senators on the Senate Banking Committee have admitted that they could not understand their own credit card statements. Hmm. So asking people to sign off of them is really a ritual designed to immunize the industry from liability or responsibility for actually giving people products that are appropriate for the particular consumer in front of them. If a consumer, though, decides, well, I don't know anything about this, I'm going to rely on my service provider, whoever that might be, a financial advisor, isn't there also the risk that they could be sold a bill of goods by somebody who is trying to steer them in a certain direction? Well, unfortunately, that is what happens all the time. But there's a vast difference between an independent financial advisor and someone who's trying to sell you something. The problem is that we don't tend to distinguish between those two, even in our language. You know, we call someone, oh, that's my mortgage broker. Well, guess what? That mortgage broker is not actually working for you. That mortgage broker is working for him or herself. The interests of you and your broker are not aligned. Same with, oftentimes, investment brokers. So if they're trying to sell you something, usually there's some sort of commission involved and something that means that their incentives are not aligned with the consumer's incentives. 
We need independent financial advisors if that's the way in which we are going to try to regulate these transactions and make sure that people don't get into bad financial decisions, not only for themselves, but for their children, their communities, and as we've seen recently, ultimately, for the U.S. economy. Our guest on InfoTrack is Lauren Willis, professor at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles, and she's the author of the study Against Financial Literacy Education. Where are we now with financial literacy education? Is this a big business? Are a lot of taxpayer dollars pouring into this field? Well, yes and no. Certainly there are millions of dollars being spent in this area. There's all sorts of little projects out there, all of which are very well-intentioned. So we're spending... You know, millions of dollars, we've got school systems that are teaching this in classes. That's time taken away from other courses, resources being spent on this. We've got all sorts of programs in the communities, homebuyer education programs. There are things offered by banks. There are programs that are paid for by nonprofits. The federal government has a gazillion websites associated with this and a literacy commission, and the president has his own literacy commission, etc. But at the same time, when you actually look at the number of dollars that are being spent per person, it is pitifully low. Per student, it ends up being something like 60 cents a student. And we would have to spend vast amounts of money to even begin to bring us toward the place where consumers in the United States could understand products in the market and these products are changing fast. Professor, if you could look at the situation out there now and wave a magic wand and change things, what would you do? Would you have more regulation? Would you put more money against this problem? What would you do? There are a number of alternatives. You might call them all regulation, but they're quite a broad variety. So one thing that's done in Ireland, for example, is there is a public financial advice system you can receive pro bono, sort of like getting legal services pro bono help, mm-hmm. for financial decisions. So that might be one possibility. It might be more efficient for us to fund some neutral group of financial advisors. Another possibility would be direct regulation of products to say, look, these option arms, option adjustable rate mortgages, the ones where you get to pick your payment each month and your payments then end up after a certain amount of time being able to jump up very dramatically. For some products, we might want to get rid of them. The Federal Reserve Board actually has decided to get rid of this thing called double cycle billing, which was a kind of billing practice on credit cards that many of the senators on the banking committee could not understand. The Federal Reserve went out and found that this was not benefiting more than a minute amount of the population. It was a practice that was hurting people, and nobody understood it. There are also other types of regulation that try to achieve a goal of getting people to the best place financially for themselves with some understanding that people do have different financial situations. The same product might not be the best product for everyone. So one way would be to change the way in which your broker is compensated. Instead of having some sort of commission structure or some sort of structure where a mortgage broker or an investment broker earns more money by selling you a product that's worse for you, instead, by regulation, requiring that the salary system be set up in such a way that their interests are the same as your interests, or at Mm -hmm. least are not at odds with your interests, paying folks on a flat fee. 
as opposed to giving them a percentage or giving them a kickback when they sell you a higher priced product or the way in which the broker receives payment for the broker services is over time and depends on the success of the investment. The precise contours of those kinds of creative approaches have not been fully explored yet and that is where the law needs to go. Our guest has been Lauren Willis, professor at Loyola Law School in Los Angeles and author of the study Against Financial Literacy Education. Professor, thanks so much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you very much. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.